Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here. And this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, May 14th, 2023, from the Gospel of John in chapter 20. All right, we're going to be in uh, the book of John in chapter 20 today. If you'd like to follow along, if not, don't worry, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read it here in a few minutes. Um, you know, typically, whenever I start, I want to kind of make sure that we're all on the same page about some things that we may be experiencing or feeling. And so sometimes I'll ask you a question directly. Hey, have you ever experienced this before? And I hope that everybody has the courage to go ahead and speak up. But I'm going to speak into something that... I already know that we all experience, and I'm not going to ask you to answer because, I don't know, it might just be a little too close to home, it might make you feel fronted out or something like that, so I'm just going to say this, and, and look, if you're one of those super courageous people and you're like, I'm going to go ahead and amen this dude, and I, I'm, I'm feeling it, then go for it, but um, here's something that I pretty much, I think it, I think it's pretty much true about all of us, and that is... No matter how open we think we are, no matter how vulnerable we think we are, no matter how much we think we tell everybody in our lives everything about who we are, we all have secrets. We all have places that nobody else gets to go. We all, and I'm not just talking about like secrets from your past, like, your, your, like the, the secrets of your history. But I mean secrets about the way you think and the way that you respond and your attitudes attitudes that you carry, opinions that you hold, perspectives that are dear to you, that maybe nobody else knows about. You've got locked rooms that maybe in some ways nobody else has keys to. There's a writer that I love who, a lady named Anne Lamott, and one time I heard her being interviewed on this program, and I'm going to steal this thing from her, but she said she stole it from somebody else, so it's totally fine. But she said, when you first meet me, you don't meet me, you meet my bodyguard. You meet the person I pay to keep me safe. That's the way so many of us live in so many layers of our lives. Of course, if you're on a social media platform at all, you have this mediated existence where you have a profile picture and then you have whatever pictures and whatever posts and things that you want to put, want to put up and you get to edit that stuff and you get to filter it and you get to decide what you show the world about who you are. And to some degree, we all have this. I mean, maybe you don't have any social media at all and you're like, I'm not one of those people. I don't have a social media because I just keep it 100 all the time. Okay. But in some way, you're mediated. Maybe it's your social media profile. Maybe it's the way you carry yourself at work or the way you present yourself at school. Or maybe it's even closer than that. Even around your friends, there's the you that you show them. And then there's stuff behind that, the you that you are, that you really are. Maybe even in the four walls of your own house, around your family, around those who are closest to you, there's all those things that you show, and then down in the depths of your mind and your heart, there's things that you think that maybe nobody has access to. I dare say that we even keep secrets from ourselves about who we are. Like in some ways, do I even know everything there is to know about me? Maybe not. Um, most of you guys know this if you've been hanging out with us for a while. If you're new, I'll explain this. Over these past few weeks after Easter, we've been looking at some post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. 
How did he show up? When did he show up? Why did he show up the way he did? I think it's very interesting that all of those appearances were really quiet and quaint and just very normal. He's cooking breakfast and on a walk with some friends, having a fireside chat. These are not big showy events. These are just quiet, quaint little conversations and hangouts. And I wanted to look at him because I believe that the way Jesus showed up after he rose from the dead is the way that he continues to show up in our lives now. What can we learn from those experiences? All right, so what we're going to look at today in John chapter 20 is still on that very first day when Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. A little while later in that morning, he appeared to uh, at least two other women, some, some other folks. He appeared to Simon Peter at some point. We don't have that conversation. He appeared to um, two folks who were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus kind of as the day was waning. They didn't even know it was him until he broke some bread. And I don't know, maybe they saw the, the wounds in his hands when his, his sleeves fell down. Or All of a sudden, they realized it was him. Maybe it was the way he blessed the bread. And they realized it was Jesus, and then he disappeared. And they were so excited, they got up and ran seven miles back to Jerusalem and found Jesus' guys and said, it's all true. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared to Simon. And then that evening, the very end of that day, we have this. We're in Jerusalem now. This is John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Okay, I want to show you another thing, if you're looking at it, just a little farther down in this chapter. This is verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in that house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. All right, so um, John tells us twice that something very interesting happened, which was they're hanging out in this upper room, the doors are locked, and Jesus just showed up. He just appeared in a locked room. Now, when I was a kid, I don't know if this was because of like, um, you know, the Jesus movies that we watched when we were little kids. Um, there were different cartoons. Some of you that are about my age probably remember Superbook. I don't know if you guys, it was kind of like an anime um, version of Bible stories. Very cool. Um, some of you have the song in your head right now of Superbook. You're welcome. Um, but because of kind of movies about Jesus's life or Superbook or some different things, I always pictured Jesus like passing through the locked door of the upper room, kind of like a ghost moves through doors in movies. Like the way you would see like, a, like you know, this phantasmal figure kind of moving through the door. I don't get the picture that that's what happened here. There's something that John does three times. Okay, he describes when he goes to the tomb and he saw the burial cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in. And he said that they were there and they were undisturbed but Jesus' body was not there. Then in chapter 20, he says, we were in a locked room and Jesus was just there. And then a week later, we were in that same house with the doors locked and then Jesus was just there. I always pictured Jesus kind of moving through the door like a phantasm or a ghost or something like that. 
But that kind of gives you the idea, like in, in movies and our kind of image of what a ghost is, like a ghost can pass through walls because a ghost is like less than human. You know, like a ghost is less than the material world is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, just like not quite materially there. But I think John wants us to understand something very specific about the new life and the new body that Jesus had after his resurrection, which is this. It's, he was not a ghost. He was not like a ghost. He was, the body that Jesus was in was not less than a, a human body, not less material than the body he had before he died. He was more real than the bodies that we walk around in. This is hard to describe and it's hard to understand, but when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he, his body was raised and now he has that body and it is more real than the world that we live in. Like I'm standing on this stage and y'all are sitting in those chairs and the, the floor is holding us up and you can't walk through a wall. Now, if you're a ghost, you're less than a person. Maybe you could pass through that wall. I don't believe in ghosts. I'm just, you can, but you guys know what I'm talking about. But what happened was when Jesus rose, he rose into, in, his body rose and he is now somehow more real than all this stuff. Like John said, I saw the wrappings that his body was wrapped in. And what they would do is, Tom's talked about this before, but they would take uh, linen and they would tear it or cut it into strips. And then they would put it in this like sticky, tacky, uh, perfumey stuff, this goopy stuff. And then they would wrap, that, the, wrap the body like a mummy. And then what would happen is that, and it's kind of like paper mache. It's like wet and, and malleable, and then when it dries, it becomes like a cast. And what John describes is, I saw that cast. They would wrap from the feet all the way to the shoulders, and then there would be like a space, and then they would wrap the head. And he's like, I saw what they wrapped his body in, that cast, it was there. And then there was a space, and then I saw where they wrapped his head, and the body wasn't there. Like... It's not that the material, it's not that he's passing through material because he's less than those materials. Somehow, and I can't explain it to you, he is more real. So that this world cannot contain him if he doesn't want it to. Does that make sense? I mean, it doesn't really make sense, but y'all can nod your heads if you want to. As far as we can try to understand this, we're going to understand it. It's not that he passed through a locked door. They're in a locked room and he's just there. He just shows up. Boom. He's in the room because he can go wherever he wants to. Now, that's really cool, and John's telling some cool stuff about Jesus' resurrection body. But it's not really what I want to talk to you guys about. Because there's something about this story that I think is really important for every single one of us. I know it's important for me. I think it will be for you, too, in your faith and in your walk with Jesus. It's something critical for us to understand. I think it's why John said it twice. It happened, and then a week later it happened again. And that is this. There are no locked doors for Jesus. There are no secret spaces where he doesn't have access. There are no private affairs in this world. In the moments and the spaces where I think I'm completely alone and I have my thoughts and I have my responses and I have my little attitudes that maybe I don't share with anybody, but I have it inside my head. You know those times where somebody does something to really tick you off and you don't say anything because you're a polite, genteel person, but inside your head, man, you are taking them down. And you're like, that's just for me. Nobody has access to that. Actually, somebody does. 
There are no locked doors. There are no private affairs. There are no secret spaces. In some ways, and this is really weird, you are never alone. Even when you are completely alone inside your own thoughts and all the secret attitudes that you hold and all the secret like positions and opinions that you cherish and hold dearly to, you are not enjoying those by yourself. You do not have those alone. So here's a goal and here's a thought. And then we're going to talk about this for the rest of the time. I think as people who know and walk with Jesus, understanding that about him, that there are no locked doors for him. He can just show up in the most secret space when you think no one has access. He's there. He knows. You have the you that you show the world and you have the you that you really are. He knows it all. It's like that old hymn. Jesus knows it all. All to him I show. Um, there is nothing that I'm hiding from Jesus. No thought, no opinion, no position, no attitude. Okay, so that being the case, us being a little more aware of that this morning, what if we could make our secret self our very best self? I'm going to say that one more time. What if we could make our private secret self our very best version of us? Wouldn't that be a really cool goal? Okay, how do we do that? All right, thing number one on this is, I think it starts with just being aware of that, of like, whew, Jesus can just show up and lock doors. There's no place that holds him out. He has access to absolutely everything. Here's thing number two. Jesus is a king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But also, if you read in very much of Jesus' teaching, very much of his parables, he's also a boss, like an employer. He's a boss. He likes to call shots. He wants to be the one in charge. I think a huge thing that we can do to start becoming the people where my private secret self is the absolute best version of who I am, one, to be aware of that. Jesus is behind every locked door. He can go wherever he wants to. And number two, he's the boss. He wants to call shots. I want to start getting better at saying to him, yes, Lord, no, Lord. If he throws up a stop sign, I want to get better at stopping. If he throws up a green light, I want to get better at hitting the accelerator. Does that make sense? That in, mo in quiet moments and in moments where you feel that little tug from him of don't respond that way or I want you to give over here or I'm putting this person on your heart. Reach out to them or pray for them or whatever the little moments are that we would get better at tuning our hearts to those moments and saying to him yes and starting to agree with him and starting to go with him and follow him. Okay, so here's what I think is a huge problem with that. I mean, that sounds really simple. I'm going to raise my awareness about the fact that Jesus is wherever he wants to be. I have no private affairs, no secret locked doors. And he's the boss. I want to start getting better little by little at saying yes to him and following him and obeying him. That sounds really simple. You know what makes it really hard is as much as we don't really know this or want to admit it, I think all of our locked rooms are a lot more crowded than we think they are. I think there's a lot more access to the secret spaces in our hearts and minds that make us the people that we are than we are maybe even aware of. There's a reason that you have the secret attitudes that you do. There's some history to the reason that you hold the opinions that you cherish and the perspective that you think is so right. It's not just you, by the way. 
It's the things that you listen to. It's the things that you read. It's the things that you expose yourself to. It's the things that you take in. It's the news that you watch. It's the podcast that you listen to. It's the Twitter feed that you're dialed in on. It's the articles you read. It's the family history that you grew up in. It's all of that stuff. And there are a lot of people who have access to your locked rooms that you need to pull those VIP passes, y'all. There's a lot of people that we credential to be in the most secret places of our lives, and we need to pull those cards. My question is, and this is, look, I'm asking this question to you, but I promise you, I promise you, I am pointing the finger at myself to, I'm asking myself the same question. Do you know what those are? Like Jesus, the King of Kings, the boss, the, the shot caller, he has stuff that he wants you to think about all the things He has attitudes that he would like you to adopt about all the things, all the hot button issues, all of it. Everything everybody's talking about, he has a way that he wants you to feel about that, a way that he wants you to see it, a way that he wants you to see all the stuff that we fight about culturally, a way that he wants you to see your money, a way that he wants you to think about and have opinions about immigrants, a way that he wants you to think about sexuality, not only yours, but whether or not you have the right to judge anybody else's. He has a way that he wants you to think about all of it, about our culture, about guns, about every, I mean, he's got an opinion about every last piece of that. And the question is, is your locked room too crowded for you to hear what the boss is saying? One thing that's very interesting is, is that for some reason, a lot of times people that, that know and walk with Jesus, a lot of times Christians are not very good at establishing and maintaining boundaries with people in their life that they need to get out of their life. Voices that they need to not listen to anymore. When, by the way, that's a very biblical concept. Like if you read Titus chapter 3, you read Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus knew how to do it. Read John chapter 2, the very last couple of verses, or basically the entire book of Proverbs. It is really important that people that don't have the right to have your trust, that you understand you do not have to extend your trust to those people, to those institutions, to those voices. A lot of times we can't hear the voice of the boss because we've got crowded secret rooms. Okay, so here's my suggestion. One, we need to be more aware. Jesus can go wherever he wants to. He's in every locked room. Number two, he's the boss. And I need to get better little by little in listening to his yes and no and responding to him as the boss. But in order to do that, I might have to thin out the crowd in my locked rooms. Does that make sense? Here's how you do that. Okay, you have a VIP pass. It's a full backstage pass. A lot of my, a lot of the folks that I love in this room last weekend were not with us because they were, you know, seeing Taylor Allison Swift at uh, the Nissan, um, you know, football stadium. And I was thinking about the fact that like anybody that could get access to those tickets, whatever you paid for them. You got to rock with Taylor that night. It might have been in the pouring rain. It might have been at 2 in the morning. But you, but, but my goodness, you got to rock with Taylor. But here's the deal. Only a few people got to go backstage and chill with Taylor. Like, I heard that Reese Witherspoon was there this weekend. I guarantee you she got to go backstage and chill with Taylor. Every 70,000 people got to rock with Taylor. Only Reese got to chill with her, okay? <laughs> Not everybody, everybody gets to rock with her. Not everybody gets to chill with her. Who has a backstage pass that forms the way that you think? 
that forms your attitudes and your opinions and the way that you're building, the way that you see your life. I think you should make sure that the only, the only people that have a backstage pass to your life, number one, and this is going to make sense, so feel free to drop an amen if you got one, make sure that whoever has a backstage pass to your, to your life knows a thing or two. Okay? Some of us have given full passes to people, they don't know anything. They don't know anything about anything. And they're giving us advice about all kinds of things, and they don't know anything at all. You know, when Jesus shows up in this room, I'm going to look at this scripture again. There's something that John skips right here. I'm, I guarantee it. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were, and the, the scripture does this a lot. You know, every now and then you're reading something, you're like, I know there was some big feelings that happened at, right after that moment, and we don't have them written down. Uh, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And that moment, I mean, I guarantee you somebody in that room was like, how did you do that? How in the world? How did you do that right there? Now, we don't have that written down, but if I had been there, that I would, how did you do that? Excuse me. How did that happen? Um, and if they had asked that, Jesus could have said to them, hey, um, buddies, I invented the universe. Uh, I know stuff about physics and thermodynamics and speed and energy and light and all that stuff that Newton and Einstein and all his buddies and all those brainiacs in Oak Ridge have never even dreamed of, okay? I can just do stuff. Like, I made this place, and I know how everything works. Stuff that you've never dreamed of. I know how all of it works, and I know how it all works together. If you're going to give a backstage VIP pass into the deepest parts of your heart and life to speak into the most important things, your relationships and your responses and your emotions and your heart and what you should give your life to, all that stuff, why not give it to the maker of the universe who knows a thing or two? The reason that he wants to boss you around is not because he's bossy, it's because he knows how this works. He knows how your life works better than you do. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows how my life works way better than I know how it works. I've said this before, but you hand me the keys to my life, I'm going to wrap it around a tree in 48 seconds. Like he knows I need to let him do the operating because he knows a thing or two. Make sure you give uh, the backstage pass to somebody that knows a thing or two. Two, make sure you give a backstage pass to someone who knows all about you. I'm going to show you something really cool. This is what John says. Uh, the doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's the first thing he said to them. Peace be with you. He showed up and he didn't say, hi, guys. He didn't show up and say, it's true, I made it. He didn't show up and say any of those things. He showed up and said, peace. Why? Because he knew them and he knew that they were afraid. Why didn't he knock on the door? Because he knew that that would freak them out. The same leadership that was full of hostility and rage and plotted and planned and got Jesus executed, all of that rage and hostility was still burning with those Jewish leaders. And these guys are wondering, when are we next? They were scared to death. The first thing he did was to come in and speak peace because he knows them. He knows what they're feeling. He was their friend. He had walked with them. He knows how they respond. He knew that this would be the best and sweetest way to do it and to communicate some peace. He knows where you're coming from. 
He knows what your hot button issues are. He knows what your traumas and trigger, triggers. He knows your history. He knows how to walk with you. You should give a VIP access pass into the deepest, most secret places in your heart to the one who handcrafted that heart and who knows every single movement of it. He knew what their, the looks on their faces were going to be. He knew them. You should give your VIP pass to somebody that knows a thing or two, somebody that knows all about you, and you should give a VIP pass to someone who loves you to the very end. This is what happened next. He shows up. He says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed. He showed them his hands and his side. He says, I know you're afraid. I need you to remember something. I'm the one that loves you this much. I'm the one that loves you enough to give my life for you. It's me. I would go to the end for you. The reason that you should let me into all your secret rooms is because nobody loves you like I do. I think that um, if we're going to make our secret self our best self, we need to be more aware of the fact that Jesus can go wherever he wants to go. I'm, I don't really have any private moments. I don't really have any private affairs. He's always there. Two, he's the boss. I need to start getting better at listening to him and asking him and responding to what he says. But I'm going to have to thin out the crowd in that locked room. Does that make sense? I need to give the full access pass basically just to him. Now, how do you actually do that a little bit this week? Okay, here's a, uh, this is what I thought of as a great way to start, is start telling Jesus some secrets. Just tell Jesus your secrets. Tell him everything. When you're with a group of people and you're talking to them, every now and then remind yourself that he's there in that conversation. Talk to him in your heart, unfiltered. Don't hold anything back. Just, I mean, just give him the whole thing. If you're really mad at somebody, if you really hate them in that moment, just tell him the whole thing. By the way, he already knows. Just complete and total unvarnished access and honesty to him. Start telling him secrets. By the way, Jesus loves secrets. He loves secrets. You remember in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you give, like when you give your money to the work of God, to help somebody, to serve somebody, make sure that you don't do it in a way that anybody else knows about it. Like don't give, um, you know, if you're going to do something big and show, you know, don't let anybody know. Like don't call the 6 o'clock news and put it in the newspaper. Just make sure, in fact, keep it from your own self. Don't even let your other hand know what the other hand is giving. He said, and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. He said, when you pray, don't gather around the flagpole and hold hands and tell the six o'clock news about it. That's not what I want you to do. Christians are like, let's go to the flagpole. Like, and Jesus is like, no, I directly said, don't do that. Find the smallest room in your house the most private place, and go in there. And your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. He said, when you're fasting, do it in such a way, don't, don't put on a grouchy face, put a smile on that face. Do it in such a way, he says, so that only your father knows you're fasting. And your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. The Lord loves secrets. And I was thinking this week, like, what's the reward? Like, if I get into the habit of building this secret life with Jesus, like all of my giving and all of my praying and all of, all of my fasting, all of my stuff, and I'm telling him everything. If, I'm, if I really put the work into building this secret relationship with Jesus, what is the reward that the Father is going to give me? Is, it, is he going to make all my problems go away? Is he going to make sure all our bills are paid? Is he going to make sure that, you know, heal us from all of our diseases? And you look around at the history of Christianity and you realize, 
No, no, that's not what happens. Like, first of all, he promised us suffering. Some of the people that have been closest to the Lord have been the poorest and the sickest and the sweetest, but have gone straight to heaven, <laughs> straight into his arms. No, the reward is not he's going to solve your problems and give you all the stuff and you're, you know, all the Christians are going to win the culture war. That's not the reward. What if, what if you put all this work into building a secret, sweet relationship with Jesus and the reward the whole time is you have a secret, sweet relationship with Jesus. Nobody else is invited. He walks you through everything. You can tell him anything. He doesn't, he's not all mean and judgmental and angry and upset. He just walks with you mercifully, patiently, sweetly through everything you face, helping you, giving you wisdom. The reward is the secret relationship. I was reading this morning in, in Song of Songs, chapter 2, and I just feel like that's his heart. He just says, my beloved, my lovely one, come away with me. The winter is over. The spring is blooming. Flowers are coming out, and I just want to run away with you. I want this secret, sweet friendship with you. That's the heart of Jesus for you and for me. And then I remembered this thing. There's a place in 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul says, uh, you know, love Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. And then he says, love is not rude. And I thought about this thing of Jesus just showing up in a locked room. And I remembered that there's a place in Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, he says, behold, I stand at the door and what? Y'all remember this, right? I stand at the door and knock. And whoever hears my voice and opens that lock and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. And I'm like, why are you knocking on the door? You can go into any locked room you want to. And then I remembered this, love is not rude and Jesus is polite. I think he would love to knock on the door and for you to open it to him. Open up the door of all your secrets. There's nobody that knows how to manage this life the way he does. He made the universe. And nobody knows how to manage and walk through your life the way he does because he handcrafted your heart. He knows every little bit of your entire story. And no one, no one has ever loved you like he did, like he does. We're going to remember that now as we take communion. Um, we invite you to come take with us and we don't ask that you be a member of Christ's community or anything like that. All we ask is that you know that at some point I have called out to Jesus and I have said, I want you to take my life and I want a life with you. I know you paid for me. I know you rose for me and I take your gift. If you've never done it, you could do it right now. It takes about that long to do it. And then you could come up and remember a love like no other. Blood spilled for you, a body broken for you. And he wants to walk with you. Would you come? I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but lost and pour content on all
sorrow and love flow mingle down Did there such love and sorrow meet Or thorns compose so rich a crown You see, at just the right time You see, at just the right time still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were a present far too small. small, small.